it would be so awesome if every single one of us just simply had a love button, right? I mean, imagine this thing. Oh, thanks, ceiling. Um, oh, welcome. Cool. Um, it's so, so awesome if you and I could have this, right, when we were at work, when we were at school, when we were at home. I mean, just imagine being able to push that at any moment and just everything transforming, everything being okay. Unfortunately, it's not that easy, right? Unfortunately, we have to really try to live out this whole love thing. But as we've been discovering here in the series, it's one thing to know a lot about love. It's another thing to be loving. It's one thing to have a theological or philosophical understanding of love. It's another thing to live it, right? Uh, When I was a kid, my pastor told the story about a guy that he was having this theological debate with about love. And they were talking about what it was and what it meant and what it looked like. And they're kind of going back and forth and back and forth. And, and this guy that my pastor was talking to was just like this really smart guy. And he just couldn't wrap his mind philosophically and theologically around what love was. And so eventually my pastor said, all right, well, we're going to have to continue this conversation. And so he kind of left, you know, feeling like, oh, I still don't get it, right? So true story. So later that night, about four in the morning, my pastor's phone rings. And he thinks the worst. Somebody's getting rushed to the hospital or something. And so he jumps up and he answers the phone. And on the other end is the guy he was having the conversation with about love. And the guy says, Pastor, Pastor, I finally understand what love is. And my pastor thinks to himself, you called me at four in the morning to tell me you get what love is. That is completely rude and self-centered. This is what he's thinking. And so he just says to the guy, no, you haven't. And he hung up on him and went back to bed, right? That's because it's one thing to know what love is or think you have this theological understanding And it's another thing to be loving, to live out what you know. And I know in my life that's something I struggle with. And as we've been discovering in this series, it's probably something we all struggle with. And there are several things we tend to make more important than love, which we've been discussing here in this series. One is knowledge. We think if we know a lot, then we must be really spiritual. We must be really close to God. And the Bible tells us over and over, and Jesus demonstrates over and over that it's not about knowledge. Just think about this for a second. Jesus could have constantly just been owning people in conversations when it came to knowledge. Couldn't he have? I mean, he could have just made everyone feel like complete idiots because he was God in the flesh, right? But that's not who Jesus was. He walked around with love. He walked around helping people that weren't very wise and weren't very smart discover amazing truths about who he was. And the, the smart guys missed him right there, didn't they? All the people who had all the knowledge were looking at Jesus, God in the flesh, and they were just, you know, they crucified him. Right, And so knowledge isn't the great determiner of our spiritual growth. This guy Paul Tripp says this, Maturity is not merely something you do with your mind, although that is an important element of spiritual maturity. No, maturity is about how you live your life. It's possible to be theologically astute and be very immature. It is possible to be biblically literate and be in need of significant spiritual growth. And so love is better than Knowledge. Knowledge is good. We, you know, we need knowledge. We aim at knowledge here. And you guys growing in your knowledge and understanding, but it's all about love. Another thing we tend to make important is keeping the rules, right? We've seen that in these last few weeks, that if we can keep some rules, we feel good about ourselves. But often people that keep some rules aren't all that loving. And in reality, keeping rules ultimately doesn't even get you anywhere, right? The love of our Savior, putting himself on a cross in our place, is what gets us somewhere, Right? And so it's not about keeping rules. It's about the love God has for us and then us responding back with a lifestyle of love. And so, man, love is so much more important than keeping 
some rules. And the last thing, which we're going to talk a little bit more about tonight, is giftedness, right? Some people get really impressed when someone can do something really well, when someone can pray these great prayers or have this great faith or see prophecies or any of these kinds of things happen. It's like, whoa, look at that guy. He must be so close to Jesus. She must be so close to God. And the reality is, is love is so much more important because often people who are very gifted are not very loving. Uh, Just an example of that, my brother-in-law, when he was younger, was going to a church, and there was this guy who sang on stage one day, and my buddy went up to him, my brother-in-law went up to him and said, hey, that was a great song, you did a great job today. And the guy looks right back at my brother-in-law and goes, you should hear me preach, right? I mean, if that was me there, I would have said, you should see me punch, how about right now, right? Let's just go for this, you know, because here's this gifted guy, but he had tremendous arrogance, That just pushed people away. What an unloving response. And so, no, it's not about giftedness. And we're going to see that pretty strongly here today. So in this series, I'm trying to challenge you to live out what you know about love. I'm trying to help you see love in a new light. I think you're going to learn some new things tonight. I know I did as I was studying for this stuff. And then lastly, I'm trying to give you homework every week. Let's walk out. Let's live this. Let's not just hear it. Let's not just know it. Let's really, truly live it. And we've been discovering here that this is so important because when you and I love, we look like our Savior. Right? Like I said earlier, this is all about love, which was initiated by Jesus. Jesus loved us first. Jesus came and died in our place. And so he initiates this whole thing. So everything I say tonight, don't see it through the filter of, oh, do good so you can earn God's love. No, you are loved, so respond in love back and respond in love toward others. And the other thing we've been discovering in this series is that people who love well live richly. Right? People who love well, they just live rich lives. They live the lives we want to live, you know? Like, there's a lot of young people in here tonight, and when you look at, you know, those older couples in your life, there's, they're probably few and far between. Too, I, I like to say that, you know, it's a good thing I don't speak for a living. Um, <laughs> they're probably few and far between, right? But the people that you look up to, and you're like, man, I want to have a marriage like them one day, you know what? They love well. And because of that, they benefit, they live richly. Right, And so we've all seen kind of those heroes in our lives that we want to be like. And I can guarantee you these are people that love well. And that's why they're living richly. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to continue like I've been doing every part of this series. Just to apologize to you and say, as Christians, we really mess up this love thing a lot. And if we've pushed you away from Jesus or the church by being unloving, then we just have to apologize and say we're working on it. And we're trying to become people who are loving. And we really want you to see the love of Jesus tonight. And I think just practically, this is something that matters to you. I think everyone in the room wants to become more loving. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look continually at what's going on in Corinthians. And what happened was, as you guys have been hearing, Paul went to Corinth, told some people about Jesus. They started a church. He spent 18 months there. And then he took off. And the church fell apart. Everybody became unloving. And they became obsessed with the gifts. They said, all right, if you can prophesy and you can heal the sick, then, man, you are, like, up here. And if you can't, then who are you even? And what Paul writes back is, oh, okay, let's just hold it here. Let's bring it back to what it's all about. It's all about love. And so we're going to look again in 1 Corinthians at love and what it means, and we're going to look at our five phrases for this week. And, again, I want you guys just to focus on one this week. Don't try to focus on five phrases I'm going to bring up. Just focus on your one main struggle for this coming week. Bring it to God. Live it out. Ask him to change your heart. But before we look at those phrases, I just want us to continue to be inspired and and remember how important love is. And so here in these verses, Paul starts to talk about why love is so much more important than 
just gifts or the things that we tend to make so important. And I just want to encourage you. Like if you are somebody who's going, man, I want to see God do something through my life. Like I, I, want, to, I want to be able to pray for the sick and see them healed. I want to be able to be like those cool people that you know, can just pray for somebody and that they'll know stuff that God shows them. And I, I want that close connection. Can I just tell you that if you love someone with the love of Jesus, you're doing something greater than someone that can prophesy or heal the sick. And so when you just simply lovingly care for someone, when you lovingly, selflessly act to show people the love of Jesus, you're doing something even greater, like we're going to see today, than someone who could raise somebody back from the dead. And so be inspired by that. Be encouraged by that, by Paul's words here. So here's what he says, and I'm going to have to explain some of this, a little tricky, but verse 8 in 1 Corinthians 13 says this, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge... It will pass away. Why is he bringing all this up? Because the people in Corinth were like, look at me, I can prophesy. Look at me, I, I can speak in tongues. Look at me, I have great knowledge. And Paul's trying to say, hey guys, all of that's going away one day. You see, why do we need prophecy and words of knowledge and all these things? We need them because they help us experience God, right? Well, one day when you stand in heaven, you're not going to need a prophet to tell you about God. God's going to be right there. And so Paul's trying to say, guys, all that's going away, what's going to endure, though, what's going to last forever is love. So make it all about love. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Now, that's kind of confusing. But basically what Paul's trying to say is right now we've experienced God in some ways to some degree, but it's just in part. Right? We can't see Jesus like I could see you right now, right? I mean, Jesus wasn't making you breakfast this morning when you went downstairs, right? You know, one day he will. When you're in heaven, he's going to make you like the most legit breakfast with all kinds of those foods you can't eat here and now without gaining weight. No calories, I'm convinced. It's going to be so epic. I can't wait. But today that didn't happen because we only see in part right now. We live in an imperfect world, but one day it'll be perfect. And so, you know what? Paul's saying, okay, here and now we need the spiritual gifts. And you know what? We're, we're, even with the spiritual gifts, we're just seeing God in part, but, but we're seeing him. So the spiritual gifts are important, but Paul's saying, don't get all caught up in him. Make it all about love. Love is so much more important. Then he says in verse 11, when I was, child, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. And so Paul's saying, okay, when you're a kid, there's certain things that are important to you. Then when you grow up, they're not important anymore. You know, like my son Landon, who's six, is obsessed with playing with action figures. Like he's obsessed with it, you know. Like I walked into my bathroom the other day and he had like the Hulk and Captain America up on a shelf, just like staring at me. And I was like, this is a little creepy, you know. Like you can walk into any room in my house at any given time and get hit with a random action figure and there's not even someone in the room. Like literally, I walked in the other day to my son's room and all of a sudden Superman was flying at me. And Landon wasn't in there. And I was like, what is going on? Can he really fly? Like, like, what's going on? And then I realized he had hung Superman from the cape, from his ceiling fan. And when I hit the switch, it came flying at my head. All right? Now, that's great. And I love to play with him with his toys. But if I said, hey, why don't you guys come over to my house later on? We're going to play with my action figures. I think the church might shrink a little. You know what I'm saying? Because that's not important anymore. Another thing, my daughter, she's, she's eight, and she loves making jewelry out of like duct tape and stuff she's got like these little pig 
duct tape things and frog duct tape things, and she makes little jewelry, you know. And if you were to, like, make a counseling appointment to see my wife here at the church and, you know, work through some of your issues, and you walked in, and Kelly's there, like, oh, hang on, I'll be done with this earring in just a second. She's making, like, a little pig earring. You'd be like, you need counseling, right? I mean, that's a whole different story, okay? And so what Paul's trying to say here is, look, when you're a kid, there's certain things that are important to you. And then when you grow up, you leave that stuff behind you. And what Paul's saying is, right now, it's kind of like we're kids in our maturity. But one day when we're in heaven, we'll be grown up. And let's start to think like grown ups. Let's start to think about eternal things. And you know what? You guys fighting over the spiritual gifts, that's not eternal because the spiritual gifts aren't eternal. Let's make it about love. Bring it back to love. Spiritual gifts are great, but love is so much more important. And then he says this in verse 12. He says, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now you may be looking at that one part that says, We see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, and think to yourself, I can see a pretty good reflection in the mirror, right? I mean, we have these great, legit mirrors these days. But when Paul was writing this, they didn't have the mirrors like we have with like straight up glass reflecting in these amazing ways. No, they had sheet metal, basically sheet metal. Like if you guys have ever come on the church picnic, we go to Hoyt Farm and you go in the bathroom there. They have sheet metal mirrors in there. I don't know, I'm just not ahead of the times. I don't know what's up with that. You know, I go in there to fix my hair and I can't even see myself, you know? And so, uh, I, you get it, I'm bald. And so, uh, so I'm looking, and, you know, and you're, you're looking in the mirror. You can't really make out exactly what's going on. You think your head looks kind of lopsided in that thing, you know? It looks a little weird. And, and so Paul's going, look, just like we here in the first century as he's writing, just like we look into these sheet metal mirrors and we really can't see except sort of a dim reflection That's kind of like what we see of God now. We see him. We experience him. We have to. The spiritual gifts help us do that. But one day, we're going to see him as face to face, man. Just like I'm seeing you now and you're seeing me now, we're going to be face to face with God and we won't need the gifts anymore. But love will go on. And so he's trying to help these these people just see and remind them that love is so important. And then he says this, verse 13, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So those are the three that will remain, faith, hope, and love. But love is the greatest of them all. And so spiritual maturity is not marked by knowledge or ability to keep rules or giftedness. It's about how much we love God first and foremost, and then we love one another and the world around us. And so as we've been seeing here in this series all along, this main idea that's kind of being You know, woven through the whole series is living a life of love is the most important thing. If we can get anything right, more important than becoming experts of spiritual gifts or experts of theology or experts of trying to keep rules, if we can love Jesus well and love each other well, we're growing. That's what it's about. Jesus himself said that's what all the law and the prophets hinge on. All about love. Okay, great. So that's how important love is. So let's talk about our last five phrases. And if you've been around, you know what we've been doing. And if you haven't, I'll just say, here's what we're doing. We're looking at five phrases every week. And I'm asking you to pick your top one you need to bring to God and ask him just to help you with as you may kind of be struggling along. And so here's where we've been so far. Uh, Verse four, we, we already talked about these. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So that's where we've been, and I hope every single week over the last two weeks, you've been working on one of those each week. Now, 
We're going to move on tonight, and I hope you guys learn some stuff and, and really are challenged to live this out. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7 says this, it always protects. Love always protects. And i got to tell you, my whole life, I pretty much misunderstood that part. You know, I thought it meant, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm the man in the relationship. I'm going to protect my wife. I'm going to protect my kids, you know. You mess with my family, I'm going to go Liam Neeson on you, you know. I'm going to call you up and say, I will look for you, and I will find you, and I will kill you. You know, and I, but that's not really loving. So I'm not going to do that. But what it actually means here, and it's great. You look back at the Greek, and you really learn something powerful here. Paul wrote this in Greek, and this is what it means. To protect means to keep confidential, to cover or to pass over in silence. Now, what does that mean? I, Doug, you, you, like, you trans, translated it out of Greek. I still don't quite understand what that means. Here's what that means. It means to protect someone in a loving way is to protect them from your big mouth. It really is. It's to protect them from you bringing up all of their shortcomings and magnifying them. That's what it is to protect someone. It's to protect someone you care about. And rather than always pointing out their little flaws and the things that annoy you about them, love instead helps you go, okay, it's okay. They're imperfect, just like me. I'm imperfect too. So so rather than magnify that issue in their life, I'm going to let love cover or protect it. Kind of help you out. um, Just get the concept down. This guy, Carl Von Hack, says this. This is love that throws a cloak of silence over what is displeasing in another person. Kind of a cool way to say it. Constable says this, love covers unworthy things rather than bringing them to the light and magnifying them. And so let's just take a second and really get deep into this. What does this look like in day-to-day life? Well, protecting doesn't highlight other people's shortcomings. That's what it is to love someone and protect them. Protecting means you bite your tongue sometimes. You want to say something. You see something off in somebody, and you want to say something. And, and, and I'll get to some of you are thinking, well, Doug, what if I could help them? We'll get to that in a second. But what I'm saying is, this is like you not saying, like, yo, you got a nasty zit today, right? Or, wow, you've really put on weight. Or, wow, you've lost a lot of hair. Or, what is, you know what your problem is? Or, it's that kind of antagonizing, bringing up all the flaws and all the things that are wrong. But to protect someone holds its tongue, bites its tongue. Protecting doesn't gossip or put down. And here's where I think we can maybe find some help. Protecting only builds up. So what that means is, you know, Joey, Andrew, Kelly, Pastor, myself, we have access to one another's lives, able to speak into each other's lives. When we see shortcomings in each other's lives, we bring it up because we love each other and we, we want the best for each other. So there are times, in fact, in fact, this past Wednesday, we were sitting at lunch and, and we were talking, it, it didn't look anything like that video, we were talking about last week and some of them said, you know what, Doug, I think if you did this in the message, it would really help. It would really help. Now, I don't think their motivation was to say, Doug, that's a huge flaw in you. What is wrong with you? You are terrible. We, we just want you to stop. Just shut up, right? No, that's not they were, what they were saying. They were saying, hey, can I, oh, here we go, here we go. Can I build you up a little bit and just tell you that I think if maybe you worked on this little area, it'd be better. That's love that protects, but but is building up. And so I'm not saying never have a hard conversation with somebody. I'm just saying that you can have a hard conversation as long as it's going to lead to their benefit. And so it's not like we have to be fake with each other. You know, the last thing anybody wants is for me to be up here or someone to be up here and it's like, man, that dude can't sing. I know, but we can't say anything. We've got to love him, you know? No, no, no. We, we say, all right, let's, how can we help him out? How can we help him get in the right spot? Or how can we? So you have the hard conversation, but it's to build people up, okay? Next one. Love always trusts. Always trusts. This is hard. 
What does this look like? Well, trust always believes the best about people. Always believes the best about people. Okay, and so I think, you know, it's really easy to be suspicious, right? And there's a difference between discernment and suspicious. Discernment is like when you see something in somebody and, you know, I think then you bring it to them or you bring it to God in prayer. But suspicious is like, no, man, everybody's just out to get me. Everybody's off. Everybody's got something. You know, everyone's looking to to mess me over and, and have their way in my life and get for me what they want and, you know, it's always believing the worst about a situation. But, but love doesn't do that. Trust always believes the best. A couple examples. When someone is late, trust doesn't automatically get angry. But it believes maybe they were held up in a way they couldn't control. Just a simple example of what trust looks like. Uh, when someone doesn't show up, trust doesn't send an angry text. It calls and asks if everything is okay. It's, it's rather than being suspicious and, oh, I knew they would do this and here they are again. It trusts. Some of you guys know John Contest, and one time he was just saying, talking about something on the, along these lines, and he was saying, you know, if, if I was like walking out to my car and Doug jumped in it and took off down the street, I wouldn't call the cops because we have a relationship, and I know him, and I, I would just believe the best about the situation, that he's got to, you know, get out of here. Maybe for some reason something happened, and I don't understand, and, and I would trust that he would deal with what he had to deal, deal with and come back and bring my car back. You know, I would just believe the best about him, and that's what it looks like to trust. Now, some of you guys might be saying, well, Doug, what about people that aren't trustworthy? And that's a great question. What about people who have broken my trust time and time again? Do I continue to just trust them blindly? Do I trust them like an idiot? Do I just make a fool of myself over and over again? No. You see, I think what you do in that case is, I think you have to have a conversation with the person about the fact that they've broken your trust. And I think this is really big, though. I think you have to be willing to let them earn your trust back. See, that's where maybe some of us need to work on this week. There are certain people in your life that have betrayed you so many times. You're like, I just can't trust them anymore. And so maybe having that heart-to-heart and then saying, look, you can earn my trust back. I remember as a little kid, I had a problem with lying. And my dad one day, you know, just lovingly confronted me on it. And he said, Doug, I want you to know that I'm going to let you earn my trust back. It's going to take time, but I'm going to let you earn my trust back. And I think some of us maybe need to do that. And there are extreme cases. You know, I mean, if it's sexual or physical um, abuse or if there's stuff like that going on, I think that's a situation where you go, okay, I'm going to forgive you, but that's that. You know, so like, you know, this isn't always these broad strokes. But overall, in general, that we would be people that trust and believe the best and are able to find a good scenario in every situation and we're able to just show our love in that way. And so is that your struggle? Is that what you're up against? Do you need to talk with somebody? Do you need to begin to just really say, all right, you can earn my trust back? And remember, Paul was writing this, first and foremost, to people in the church, right? And so there are, are there people in here that you're struggling with that with? You need to work out with? Is it, is it a family member or a friend or somebody like that? The next one is this, love always hopes. It always hopes. And this ties in a little bit to what we talked about last week. I think it's almost like the opposite of envy because The fact that love hopes isn't always like, oh, love is always dreaming. It's always out the window. That's not what this means. No, the fact that love hopes is it hopes the best for others. It hopes the best for others. And that's kind of the opposite of envy, right? We talked about last week. Envy says, I kind of hope the worst for you. You know, I kind of hope things won't go well for you. I hope hope that you fail. I hope you don't get what you want. But hope, on the other hand, says, I hope the best for you. For you. This is hard. Some of you guys in, in the room have siblings, and you're like, it's really hard to hope for them, for the best for them. Some of you guys in the room have had really rough relationships, and it's like, it's really hard to hope the best for them. Some of you have a parent or a child, 
It's really difficult to hope for the best for them. But that's what love does. That's what Jesus' love inside of us does. It hopes that people will walk with Jesus. You know, kind of like we've hinted at this a little bit in this series. It doesn't look at someone who's struggling in their relationship with God and and goes, yeah, that's that's just what they're going to amount to. Yeah, that's what I figured. No, hope says, I really hope and pray this person gets their heart right with God. I'm going to believe the best. I'm going I'm to believe and hope for the best for this person. Rather than highlighting people's sins and struggles, it hopes that people will overcome those sin and struggles. It hopes that people will advance. It hopes that people will grow in their relationship with God and get past it. Is this yours? Do you need to begin to more and more say, all right, here's somebody I really struggle with this with. And God, give me grace to begin to hope that they can live for you. The next one is, it always perseveres. Always perseveres. We're going to spend a little time on this one because I think this is so important. Okay? When Paul wrote this in the Greek, here's what he meant. To persevere is to maintain a belief or a course of action in the face of opposition. In the face of opposition. You know why this is so important? Because we live in a world where love is so superficial, right? As long as it doesn't hurt, as long as there's no opposition, as long as it doesn't cost me anything, I'm good. But as soon as it starts to cost, I'm out. But no, love doesn't do that. In the face of opposition, in the face of trouble, in the face of hardship, love moves forward. Love continues on. And so what does this look like? Perseverance doesn't give up when relationships get tough. I had a best friend from about fourth grade through my senior year of high school. And when we went to college, we roomed together in our first year together. And for whatever reason, man, that just, the whole friendship broke apart. And we, we almost became rivals in a lot of ways. And there was a lot of immaturity and stupidity and sin. And just, it was just ugly. And you know what? I just wish at that point in my life I'd been mature enough to realize that just because we, like, were arguing, we had disagreement, and we had some things going on, that didn't mean we had to give up on the relationship and the friendship. I wish and just wonder where, you know, another another almost 20 years later, where we would have been today had we stuck it out, had we persevered through that. Another thing, perseverance fights for the friendship, the marriage, the relationship, and the church. Right Again, we're talking mainly, Paul's writing to church people here. He's saying, you guys aren't being loving. And I'll tell you, we see this all the time. People who come to the church and there's disagreement or there's something goes down and instead of dealing with it the right way and persevering through the opposition and loving in a way that makes no sense and forgiving, we see so often people just run. People just take off or they sit on that side if this person's on this side and they can't be on this team if this person's on this team. And I'll tell you, man, if we could just love our way through that opposition, we'd be so much stronger for it. Perseverance doesn't run at the sight of hardship, conflict, disagreement. It stands and talks through it and works through it. You see, I think we live in a culture where nobody wants to hear anything hard, you know? Nobody wants to hear anything difficult. I had a couple of conversations this week where some people pointed out some things in me and even in some of the ways that I'm leading the church that I honestly didn't really want to hear. But they were people that I respected and people that honestly had great insight. And you know what? In that moment, although I didn't really like it, and kind of honestly in the conversation pushed back a little bit and kind of just walked away rolling my eyes, later in the week, God was really kind of saying, Doug, this is something I'm trying to do in you. That conversation wasn't just random. I was up to something through that conversation. 
So instead of running from it, let me do what I want to do in you right now. And I actually ended up thanking that person and just sending an email. Thank you for that. And I'm thinking about that and praying about that. And I think you're right. And I want to move forward in that area. And so just learning that, okay, opposition and hardship and conflict doesn't equal run. Love perseveres. Love goes through it. What if God is putting some of the conflict in our lives to rip out of us the exact things we were asking him to rip out of us? Right? God, please take this from me. God, help me with my patience. God, help me with my anger. Okay, I'm going to send her. No, Lord, don't send her. Lord, take her away, right? And so what if God's up to something good in our lives through those difficult circumstances and you and I are always just running? I can guarantee you this. Every time we run from one of those conflicts and those relationships, we're just going to end up in a new one, right? I mean, I always think it's funny when, when people decide, hey, let's, let's leave this church and go, go to that one because there's no imperfect people there. Newsflash, right? We're all imperfect. You know, we all, I mean, every one of us on staff, I'm sure at one point or another has thought, you know, ministry is hard. I hear uh, Colorado's got really nice weather. I hear North Carolina is really nice. I'm just going to go down there and like, you know, get a job at Home Depot or something because ministry is tough. But you know what? No matter where you go, you're going to run into imperfect people that will hurt you. And so we got to persevere through that. And so maybe it's you in the church. Maybe it's you in your relationships. Maybe it's a marriage. Man, that we would learn to persevere through all that. And then lastly, and I think this one's really misunderstood. I know I misunderstood it. Love never fails. And I think as soon as you hear that, you probably go, well, I'm not keeping that one because I fail all the time. But here's what we learn as we really study this word. This word doesn't mean love never falters. It means love never ends. It doesn't mean love never messes up. It just means when it messes up, it gets up and it keeps going. And so if you're here tonight going, wow, that kind of sounds a lot like me. It sounds like me, man. I, I get going in, in a relationship or I, I had this friendship here at the church or whatever it might be in our marriage. Or, and man, I fell hard and I just never got back up again. I never got back up. I never kept going. I never worked through what needed to be worked through. And that's what this means. Love that never ends. A love that goes on. And so here's what this really looks like when we get down to it. Love, it's a love that goes on when we, even when we disagree. All right, we disagree, but I still love you. We disagree, but I'm going to still honor you and treat you in a way that honors God. Inside the church here, love goes on when our theology is different, right? There's probably people you know, here in the room that have all different types of beliefs. As long as we line up on Jesus, on his death and resurrection, then we can be in some type of unity together, right? I mean, there's lots of stuff that divides people and predestination and free will and Jesus coming back then, no, he's coming back then. That's funny, I thought he said no one knew, right? I mean, and so, man, if we would just say, okay, we believe different, but we love the same God, then love can, can go on. Uh, love goes on, uh, families in the room. I got a real heart for this, just to talk for a few minutes. Love goes on, uh, husband and wife, when the kids graduate and move out. Love goes on in your marriage. Kelly and I were just sitting talking last night about the fact that, you know, we see so many people that are struggling in this area, marriages that are really deeply hurting, and people are just simply coexisting in a house. I'm just telling you, that's not God's heart for you. And some of you guys, you met some opposition in your marriage, and it could have been 10 years ago, it could have been last month, but you, you stopped. The love failed, and you didn't get back up. And I'm telling you, when your kids graduate, or maybe some of them already have and left, and you're just coexisting in a house, man, God has for you to enjoy 
one another. God has for you guys to be best friends. God has for you guys to delight in the next 30 years you may have together. And so, man, I really hope you'll pray about that and bring that to God if that's your struggle. Love goes on when you don't look like you used to, my friends. Learn this now. Learn this now. Kelly, my beautiful wife Kelly, married a very hairy man, is all I will say. Um, and about six, six years later, I was hairless. And so stuff happens. Matt, Matt Chandler says it this way, gravity wins. Gravity wins as we get older, all right? Some of you guys will wake up tonight horrified, like, oh, I get it now, okay. Um, that's what that happens there. Um, next one, love goes on when your spouse, child, parent, boss, employee, or fellow Christian let you down. Like I've been saying, it's going to happen. We're going to hurt each other. We love Jesus, but we're imperfect. It's going to happen here in this, in this place and outside. But love doesn't fail. It gets back up and it keeps going. And so is this yours? Out of the five we talked about tonight, what is it? Do you need to learn to protect people by not magnifying their shortcomings? Or be someone that's really gracious? Do you need somebody that trusts and believes the best about people? Do you need to be somebody that begins to hope for people that they will go further than you go, that, that they're blessed, that they walk in their relationship with Jesus and they're not struggling and falling like you had always assumed they would? Do you need some, become somebody that perseveres through hardship and do you need to be somebody that just, that love gets back up again? Maybe tonight's the night, love gets up again, man. And you start to fight for the relationship or the marriage or the, the child or the parent or, or the, the friend at work or whatever it might be. And you know what? Somebody after the morning service came up with a great question. He said, you know, I kind of did that. Like I fought for a friendship that had fallen apart. And the guy that I was trying to just, you know, stay tight with, he just kind of, he, he kind of didn't really respond. He really seemed like he didn't want the friendship. And I said, well, bro, I think as long as you've pursued him and you've, you know, forgiven him and you're not holding anything in your heart, then you've done all you can do. You can only do what you can do, right? But man, that we would begin to just really fight more and more for the relationships in our lives. And so, I don't know about you, I hope this series has been helpful. I know for me, it's been really helpful. Not because I'm sitting there like, wow, I'm such a great preacher, listening to myself like 80 times a week. No, like getting ready for this series really helped me with my struggle with patience. Mainly out of these 15, that's my one. And I just want to give us some time to continue on in our strategy. Remember last week I said, all right, take your one, take your one struggle, and I want you to figure out what your triggers are, right? Figure out what triggers you. So for me, I told you guys a couple of the things that trigger my impatience, right? And, and maybe for you, your thing was anger or it was pride. What triggers it? What are the things that make your pride kind of come out, right? Those are your triggers in life. And I ask you just to sit at the end of the service and write them down, bring them to God, be praying about them, be mindful. I want to add another step, okay? The triggers are great, but the triggers only kind of help you go, okay, this is coming. You know, like somebody's holding a gun at you, like, okay, I'm about to get shot, right? It's good to have a plan so you don't get shot. So I see the, I see the pistol, but now I can do something to not get shot, okay? And so that's what I want to do tonight. I want to ask you very simply this question. How do you break the cycle, okay? How do you break the cycle, of this thing in your life. So for me, I'm just going to give you an example from the whole thing. My main struggle is impatience, right? So what are one of my triggers? One of my triggers are when we're late getting out of the house. That's just one of the things I know. When we're late getting out of the house, I can become impatient. I can say things I don't mean. I can raise my voice at my kids. I can become impatient when we're late and we should have left 10 minutes ago and we're not. And so get buckled and get in the car and come on, guys, let's get going. And Landon, stop picking dandelions and come on, let's just get, let's go, right? 
And so I know that's my trigger. And so I just sat there with my trigger and I said, now, how do I break this pattern? I know that's a trigger for me, but how do I break the pattern? And for me, just two simple things could help me be more like Jesus in that, in that instance. One, try not to be late, right? That's the obvious one. If, if we could just get out the door on time, it completely takes away that whole scenario. But then secondly, if we're late, because we live in the real world and that happens sometimes, then as I'm walking out, try to calmly communicate to my kids. Hey, guys, we're running a little late. Can you guys just like roll right into the car? Can we get buckled calmly and then just get going? I mean, I, I think those two simple things are the difference between my kids growing up and in 20 years remembering a dad who was patient or a dad who was impatient. And so that's what I want you to do. And you know what? You can, you can choose one of the five we talked about tonight, or if you're kind of like me and you're really still stuck on one from like week one or week two, then would you bring that to God tonight? And maybe some of you, you know, you worked through your triggers last week, but now would you start to think about how to break that cycle? And we're going to give you a little time and space to do that here in the service again like we did last week. We're not going to get all caught up and do that every week. It's just this series, I so want us to live out what we know, that we're willing to give a few minutes of our service for you guys to sit and figure out some practical steps to live this. Now, some of you guys are like, I would love to, Doug, but I feel like I can't. I just want to remind you what we talked about in week one, that love itself lives in you. Love himself is alive in you. You're right, you can't. Neither can I. None of us can. But God is in us, and he can love through us. And the better we love him, the more we're set up to love those in our lives. And so figure out what your trigger is. Your trigger is anger. Okay, how do you break the cycle. How do you break that? Do you get angry when he's around? Okay, maybe he shouldn't be around anymore. Maybe you shouldn't be around him anymore. Or maybe you need to start really seeking God about that relationship. And when he's around, you're praying every moment that he's around. Like whatever it looks like. Or you know another friend being with you will keep the conversation quiet. You know, we'll keep you guys from going off on each other. Okay, then you bring a friend every time he's around, right? Whatever it is, I don't know what it looks like for you. I'm just trying to give you some examples. What's your struggle? What's your trigger? And then how do you break that cycle? Above all, love matters. And if you and I can live a life of love, we'll look like our Savior, and that will attract the world around us. And we'll also live richly. And so living a life of love is the most important thing. Let's pray together. So God, we come to you just really wanting to live this so badly, God. We know the world around us needs it so much. They need to see Christians who love you and are the real thing. And we just ask for your help in this. Christians, just begin to bring your number one struggle, be it this week or be it throughout this series, to God. And just continue to ask him to transform your life. And if you're not a follower of Jesus... As you've been hearing through this message, this is all about Jesus' love for us. It's all about what he initiated, the way he sacrificed his life on the cross for you and me. This is not about being good people to earn the love of God. This is about being very lost and broken people who have been given the love of God. And we get to now respond to this amazing gift. And so if you want to respond tonight and ask Jesus to be your Savior, you can pray something like this between you and God just quietly. Jesus, would you be my Savior? Please, God, forgive me for the sin in my life. God, thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for not expecting me or demanding me of me to be perfect. 
Thank you, God, that Jesus, who was perfect, lived that for me. God, thank you for this gift of salvation. Thank you for heaven. Thank you for love. And now help me to live a life of love in response. If you're a follower of Jesus, or if you're not a follower of Jesus, or if you've just become a follower of Jesus, then I want us all to do the same thing right now. I want you to take out your phone. I want you to spend a few minutes writing down your main struggle, what your triggers are, and how to break the pattern. I know some of you might be saying, Doug, this is a stupid step. I don't see the difference it's going to make. I'm just telling you, as somebody in the last several weeks who's lived this out with this whole patience thing, it makes a difference. So I'd love for you guys just to spend a few minutes. The band's just going to just kind of be up here quietly like this, and you guys will have opportunity to respond to God.